He's already had the MRI, uh, just waiting to get a read on it when, when the doctor gets here. So he just came in now. Um, so we'll see. He, he doesn't seem too concerned about it. He's a little sore today. Um, no swelling in there, though, so that's a good thing. And So we'll just wait on the, on the result of it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the third episode of the Big Blue Pinstripes podcast. My name is Joe Buckwright. I am the host. As you heard from the top of the show, yes, it's another week gone by for the Yankees and another painful injury. I want to say a devastating injury, but it's kind of hard to use that word when they keep winning. So I'm going to say painful. Um, this week they lost their their new ace in James Paxton. Um, obviously the ace of the staff is Luis Severino, who's been out the entire season and reports now are saying that he's going to be gone until after the all-star break which is a blow to the team and that really sucks but they they keep chugging along but now they lost their new step in ace and james paxton they're saying it's not very serious uh you heard aaron boone uh, the team manager at the at the intro say that it doesn't seem too serious the mri came back and there wasn't anything too bad in it um they're calling it left knee inflammation and saying that he's going to be out for a max of three weeks which is probably going to wind up being about two starts but that's going to be two starts as they're missing, you know, one of their better pitchers. Um, between him and Domingo Herman, those those are the two guys that are carrying the staff right now. So it, it's a blow. So far this year, I mean, he's he's three and two with a 3.11 ERA, uh, 52 strikeouts and 37 and two thirds innings. I mean, he has been dominant. He's been everything and more that the Yankees were expecting. It hurts, but obviously they got guys. They got Jonathan Loisiga, who's who's made some starts and obviously been used as a long relief arm in the past. So he'll probably make a spot start not too sure what their plan is but you know Dallas Keuchel is still out there so let's see what happens there but hey I want to I want to thank everybody for tuning in uh thanks for listening I know this is only the third episode and hopefully you liked what you heard in the first two and that's what brought you back so I want to thank you for anybody that's new to the show welcome I hope you enjoy it um this is just me sitting here talking about the Yankees and Giants for you know an hour a week every every Tuesday we're going to be posting a new episode and it's basically just me rambling on and on about the two teams that I love so anyway, let's get into it. Uh, there was a lot going on with the Yankees this week. Um, obviously, we got to start out with CC. Became the 17th member of the 3,000 Strikeout Club this week. It's been something that's been talked about all week or all season. He's admitted to thinking about it every time he's out on the mound. So it was something that he needed to and wanted to get behind him. Obviously, it was going to happen if he was healthy. It's not like he's just not going to strike people out. He might not strike out as many if he's thinking about it, but he's still going to strike people out. He's got good stuff, and he knows how to pitch. He's been around a long time. I think that this is going to be the cherry on top that solidifies his Hall of Fame candidacy. I mean, he's one of the best to do it of this generation. I mean, he's he's been at it for about 20 years. Uh, won a Cy Young in 2007. 19-7 record with a 320 ERA, throwing 241 innings, which isn't something that happens anymore. The way they control your pitch count and control your innings, that number's just not going to be reached anymore, so it, it's something to goggle at. Um, he won a World Series with the Yankees in 2009. I, I just think it's kind of a done deal now. He might not be a first ballot. I don't know. I don't know what the voters are going to think, but I'd be shocked if he gets more than two or three ballots in and he's not in. He, I mean, he's he deserves it. 3,000 strikeouts, that doesn't happen that often. I mean, there's only 17 people that have done it, including him now. And he's on the verge of getting the 250 wins, which is another big milestone that isn't going to happen anymore. The way pitchers are shortened now, the, the wins aren't accumulating like they used to. Now it, it become much more of a bullpen game than it was back in the day. So 
it, it's a lot harder to accumulate that many wins. So, you know, if he if he manages to get to 250 wins, throw that on top of the 3,000 strikeouts, the Cy Young, the World Series, being the workhorse in a kind of a resurging Brewers team back in 2008 when he was traded from Cleveland to Milwaukee midseason and basically pitched every third day all the way through the playoffs. Um, he was a he was a horse and, and carried that team on his back, and they didn't win it, but what he did was, was something special, and it's not something we see every day. So I think I think it's a lock, and I think it's awesome. It's been really fun watching him for the last 10 years. One, one thing that goes unnoticed and, and uncelebrated about three or so years ago, he lost his velocity, which happens. I mean, he's you know getting up in age. He's thrown a lot of innings. He's got a lot of wear and tear on that arm. So he lost some velocity, and it, it almost seemed like it was just he was going to hit a wall, and that was going to be it. That wasn't the case. He had he had a rough season and then kind of went back to the drawing board and learned how to pitch instead of how to throw. He was an overpowering guy in the beginning, the first 10, 12 years of his career and, and got up in age, learned, learned how to pitch. And now he, you know, throws an 89 mile an hour fastball and he knows how to get people out. So it's impressive. It's impressive what he's done over his over the course of his career. He's, he's one of the best of this generation. And I, I think it's a lot for him to be on the Hall of Fame. I, I think it would be a travesty if he doesn't get in. I just, I, I think that would be ridiculous. But that was obviously the highlight of the week that was something special that we've been working toward for a few weeks now so so kudos to him that, that's awesome and it, it, it's awesome that he did it as a Yankee it's it, very gratifying for for fans to see guys hit milestones like that as part of your team it's, it's really cool um, the other major milestone that we were approaching uh, Luke Voigt who came over in a a trade that no one was expecting and they didn't give up much to get him. He came over from the Cardinals last season and he has been unbelievable since then. Had a got up to a 42 game on base streak that just ended on Saturday against the Twins. Pretty impressive. It not obviously not a hit streak. Um, walks, reached on errors, things like that come into play so it's not as impressive as a history but 42 games is a lot um it's the second most that the yankees have had behind Derek jeter who i think they said had 50 57 game on base streak um i may maybe a game or two off on that but it, it's impressive what he's doing and it was somebody that was cast off in st louis nobody kind of had him on their radar he was kind of up and down between triple a and the big leagues with the Cardinals, and they just kind of unloaded him, and the Yankees virtually bought him. They kind of they kind of traded some cash to get him, which is nuts considering what he's been doing. But they didn't give up much. They gave up. Chase and Shreve was a part of the deal, which if you guys have paid close attention to the Yankees over the past years, Chase and Shreve wasn't much to give up. He had a good stretch a couple years back, but other other than like a three-month run, he really hasn't done anything and was kind of a useless left-handed arm out of the bullpen. What they turned that into was pretty damn impressive. And you got to give Brian Cashman and his scouts some credit for what they unearthed in Luke Voigt. I mean, this guy's been the middle of the order bat and virtually made Greg Bird expendable. I mean, Greg Bird was supposed to be the first baseman of the future, can't stay healthy. Now no one really cares. I mean, he he's he's got one of the sweetest swings in the organization. He was projected to be the best hitter in the organization before you know Aaron Judge came up, before Gary Sanchez came up, before Gleyber Torres came up. Greg Bird was the first one to come up, and everybody was touting this guy, saying he. He's the best hitter among the aforementioned guys down down in AAA. All the scouts, all the coaches, all the eyes were on Greg Bird over Judge, over Sanchez, and he had a good run when he got called up initially, but injuries have plagued him ever since, and now 
we're not even waiting for him to come back. I, I don't really care. I mean, I love the guy. I, I enjoyed watching him play when he was healthy. He's, he's a good hitter. He's a great first baseman. But Luke Voigt is, I, I got to be honest, I had my doubts. I didn't think it was going to be sustainable what he was doing last year just because of the fact that the Cardinals threw him away so easily. Usually when you got talented players like that, you don't just toss them aside. Uh, usually there's a reason for that, which I'm not sure. Maybe they just didn't have a spot. I mean, they got a pretty deep roster when it comes to first baseman and corner outfielders and they obviously don't have a dh in the national league so he didn't have a spot there you know they have matt carpenter that plays first occasionally they have jose martinez that can play first they have paul goldschmidt that can play first now um since they traded for him in the offseason so they they kind of got a, a, a log jam at the position and luke void i guess became expendable i don't I, I don't know maybe he wasn't as good as the projections didn't seem as good as they were to cashman and nobody else wanted to take a shot but based on what they paid to get him i'm surprised that other teams didn't give him a shot but it's it's undeniable what he's doing for the yankees he's he's played 72 games he's hitting 298 23 home runs 60 rbis 35 walks he's getting on base obviously with the streak it's it's awesome he's basically been the staple this year between everybody that's getting hurt all the guys that are going up and down between the injured list the the starting roster he's that guy that's been the backbone of the team that's hitting in that two spot which is supposed to be Aaron Judge I mean he's filling a hole of Aaron Judge he's filling a six foot seven inch hole in that two spot and he's he's playing magnificently it's awesome it's fun to watch and I, I gotta say I love the little skip when he hits it when he hits a bomb it's it, it brings me back to the old days with you know this Sammy Sosa little little skip after he hits his bomb and the Ken Griffey Jr. walk you know you know guys don't really do that anymore and he, he's kind of bringing that back to the old school and it, it it's it's pretty nostalgic to to watch him i'm not a fan of the the button down shirt but i can i can live with that if he keeps hitting the way he's hitting the team's winning and he's a major part of it he's a major part of the reason why this team is is staying afloat while they're dealing with so much injuries i mean they're two games out of first place in the beginning of may and they're missing eight or nine starters you got to give credit to luke Voigt because he's the guy that's carrying this team right now they're carrying the offense anyway some of the guys that are getting back from injury, we got Gary Sanchez back. Ironically, the same day that Clint Frazier went down, uh, which is unfortunate, but we got Gary Sanchez back, and that's pretty awesome because what he's done since he returned is ridiculous. This guy is one of the leaders in home runs in the American League, and he's played 19 games compared to everybody else's. 30-ish. He's destroying the home run totals for catchers. He's got his average back to normal. Obviously, last year was an abnormally low average year for him, hitting under 200. That We knew that wasn't going to continue. He's too good of a hitter. He was dealing with too many injuries last year. Obviously, the injuries started this year, but it wasn't that serious. He only missed about 10 games, or probably eight, seven or eight games, based on the fact that he usually gets a day off once a week if he doesn't DH. He, he gets a day off behind the plate every week. So if he missed seven or eight games, that's not not that big a deal if we can kind of continue that for the rest of the season we'll be in good shape but obviously the last you know six seven games have been unreal i mean he, he's got a six game hitting streak a seven game hitting streak actually now thanks to today they beat the twins today and he had another hit so he's got a seven game hitting streak and in that stretch he's got five home runs eight rbis a couple walks a bunch of runs i mean hitting doubles getting on base he's playing well behind the plate he's not letting as many balls get by him as he has in the past that's kind of been his kryptonite defensively He's taken a lot of a lot of shit for his inability to prevent balls from getting past him. That's not happening this year. It could be a, it could be a, 
Uh, mark to the pitchers for, you know, pitching a little better. I don't know. It seems like guys throw in the dirt routinely, like on purpose, you know, trying to throw that wipe, wipe out curveball to strike people out. And you got to have some faith in the catcher to do that, which he seemed to be doing better at it this year, which is nice. Um, and obviously, we know we know the bat. I mean, he's he's the best offensive catcher in the game. He has his struggles behind the plate, like we mentioned. But when it comes to throwing out base runners, he's one of the best in the league. He's got an absolute rifle on his right arm. It's I'm glad he's a part of our team and not on somebody else's team. I'm not really sure why he gets the slack he gets. A lot of people like to doubt him. A lot of people like to doubt everybody on the Yankees. I don't know why. Maybe because they're so young. Maybe because they're so good and they're intimidated. Maybe because they're nice now. They're not as ruthless as they were in the past with the A-Rods and the Roger Clemens. Like, they're not as... They're not as cocky, so maybe people like to hate them because they, they're soft. I don't know, but these, these kids are good, and we know what they can do, and they're doing it this year, the ones who are healthy anyway. However, they've been on a pretty good run lately. After a rough start, they started the season 6-9, and nine, which isn't very good, but was somewhat understandable based on who was playing. However, they had a very easy schedule that first you know, couple weeks, so we thought even with the injury issues, we thought we can get better than 6-9, and nine. but it is what it is. They started how they started. They did the same thing last year. I think they started 8-9 and nine last year, and then they went on that 17-1 and one run to get back in the race with Boston, which they never actually caught them with kind of sucks but hey at least they're ahead of Boston this year so we'll see what happens but they after starting six and nine they've been thir- they've gone 13 and five since then which is the best record in the American League they had a great West Coast road trip last week into the beginning of this week started off six and one uh, took three of four from the Angels actually took the first three and lost the sweep game which would have been nice the four game sweep would have been really nice but they lost that fourth game but even still took three or four from LA then uh, took a plane to San Francisco swept them in a three game set which is nice so started off the west coast road trip six and one that's great especially with the injury issues you're thinking wow they can get back here you know seven and two possibly eight and one that's beautiful they might be possibly in a tie for the lead with the Rays something that wasn't expected but man that would have been nice but then they hit a hit a little road bump ran into a couple hot pitchers Zach, Zach Greinke shut them down uh, so they lost the first game and then Merrill Kelly hasn't really been that great he's been okay but just had his stuff going he had his A stuff that game so they lost both they got swept in the little two game set with Arizona but even still uh, at the end of the day they had a six and three road trip came back east that's nothing to be laughed at. I mean, that's a good road trip, especially when you're going out west. It's tough to do, especially this early in the season. These guys are still getting their feet underneath them. Um, they were only 15 games in when they headed out there. So you got to be impressed with the way they took care of business. I know the teams weren't that great. Arizona was the best team they played, and they lost them both, which sucks. But it is what it is, and they, they, they got the job done. If you if you win six of every nine throughout the rest of the season, you're, you're going to be in amazing shape. You'll be the number one seed in the American League. So keep doing that. And then they came back east and had a home a three-game home set against Minnesota, who has been one of the best teams in the American League. They were 19-10 and 10 headed into the series, and Yankees took two or three, which is nice. I mean, they took care of business. They lost the pitcher. They lost the hitter. They're taking care of business, and they keep winning. I, I said it last time. I don't know how, but it's, it's fun to watch. These guys can play. The guys that are coming up, I mean, Michael Talkman hit another bomb today. I mean, he's been really struggling for the last couple weeks since he kind of got off to a high start when he got called up or when he got traded for I guess but he you know hit a bomb today that extended the lead to 4-1 and they never let that up the game actually got called in the eighth inning it wasn't a full game but they played enough for it to be counted as a full game and won 4-1 in seven and a half innings so that's nice and and these guys in the bottom of the order are holding up their end of the bargain we did get a couple guys back uh, Miguel Andujar came back which is nice 
you know, it's desperately needed when a guy comes back from injury and he's slotted into the cleanup spot on day one. But he's been okay. You know, had a, uh, he's had a couple hits in the last two games. Justin Miguel Andujar fashion made an error on his first play at third base. But that's been his... Like, Gary Sanchez has his kryptonite behind the plate. Miguel Andujar has his kryptonite at third base. It is what it is. I mean, he's he's not out there to win gold gloves. He's not going to do that. He's not that established and that refined as a third baseman, but he's an excellent hitter. They need in the lineup every day. And he's back. He seems healthy. He decided to pass up on surgery, which would have been season-ending. Hopefully it works out. Hopefully it doesn't kind of come back to haunt him and he misses half of this year and half of next year. If that's the case, you know, obviously you would have rathered him take the surgery, come back 100% next year. But we shall see. He obviously can swing. He's, he never said swinging was the issue. The issue was always throwing. So the thought was he might come back in DH for a while, but obviously not. He came back to play third base in the first day. So as long as he can throw the ball from third base to first base, we're okay and you know keep him in the lineup because they need him. They also got DJ LeMahieu back who missed a couple games. Uh, got hurt on the West Coast trip, but didn't actually get put on the IL. He bruised his knee MRI, x-rays came back negative. MRI showed nothing more serious than a bruise, some swelling, and some inflammation. Sat a couple games, let it heal, and he seems back to normal, getting hits and getting on base, driving in driving in runs. So he's doing his thing. It seems like they're dodging some bullets here, which hopefully kind of foreshadows what the rest of the season is going to be because they they need these guys back for the brunt of the season when you get into the get into the summer months you need you need the a team on on the field the schedule is not going to be as as generous as it has been obviously you're going to start playing some of the better teams they still haven't played the rays yet who are ahead of them in the east they still haven't played the indians yet which are one of the better teams always they're not as good as they've been they've lost a couple guys uh cory kluber went down but, you know, they haven't played them yet, and they're one of the premier teams in the in the American League. So we'll see. They need some of these guys back. They need Aaron Judge back. Um, one of the bright spots of this team that I hit on last week, he continues to do his thing, and it's unbelievable. Domingo Herman has been unbelievable this year. He's made six starts and seven appearances. He's 6-1 and one with a 235 ERA. He is the best pitcher on the team right now. It was him and James Paxton, which could have been labeled 1-2 with Severino on the injured list. Now with Paxton gone, Domingo Herman really is the ace of this staff. And that's crazy to say because this is kind of sort of his rookie year. He's had activity in the big leagues. Obviously, he's pitched before. He started before. He's been in the bullpen before. This is his first time to be solidified in the rotation. When some of these guys start coming back, when Paxton comes back, when Severino comes back, when Montgomery comes back, they're going to have a big decision to make because I don't know how you can send Herman down. The way he's pitching right now, It's he is the guy in this in this staff that I feel most comfortable with when it's his turn. Even Paxton, even Paxton was as pitching as well as he was. He still had that bad game or two, which bloated his ERA up over three, which isn't bad. If you got a 310 ERA in the American League, especially in the East, you're doing really well. However, those two games cost him from possibly having a 265 ERA, which is still even higher than what Herman has at 235. That is awesome what he's doing. His whip is under one. His strikeouts are back up a little bit. Before his last two or three starts, it was down around seven per nine. He's got it up now above nine. He's at 9.2 per nine, which is great. He's still walking some people. If he can get that walk rate down a little bit, that would help. It's not as bad as it's been in the past, but it's still up a little bit. However, he's, he's, he's the guy. The fact that he got his K up over nine makes me really happy because that shows me that he still has he, he's had this stuff all year but now he's got the swing and miss stuff back before he was you know pitching the contact and 
getting fortunate on the the batting average on ball is in play he was getting fortunate guys behind him were playing great defense now he's not relying on that as much he's striking out a guy in inning which is very helpful for a starter to maintain what they've been doing for the year if they have a good year hooray chances are you're striking people out because that strikeout per inning is very very helpful especially in big, big situations when you got you know, first and third with one out, you have to be able to, to rear back and get a strikeout and take away that scoring opportunity for the other team. You, you got to be able to do that without relying on your defense because chances are, even if the defense is making plays, when you got runners on third base with less than two outs, they're going to score. So that strikeout is huge. So strikeout per inning is, is great and it's much needed and he's got it back. So that's good. Those are most of the guys that I wanted to hit on. Other than that, this team is so much fun to watch right now. The way they're playing, the way they're winning games without hitting home runs, it's great. I mean, Gary Sanchez is obviously hitting the bomb at night, but other than that, they've really been doing scoring runs on small ball, moving guys over, good base running, getting from first to third on on you know singles to the outfield, just being smart at the plate, not swinging that too much shit off the plate. You know, they're the Yankees have always been known for a team that's got great eyes and great on base percentage, and they're living up to that again this year. They're being really, really selective with the pitches they're hitting, other than Glaber Torres, who. My God, I love Glaber Torres so much, but he, every single at-bat he comes up to the plate and swings at the first pitch, it doesn't matter where it is. It drives me nuts. He's in an 0-2 count almost every at-bat. He's still got an 11-game hit streak now. He's still hitting. He's still playing well. But if he can just be a little bit more selective, my God, this, the sky's the limit for the kid. Other than that, I mean, the guys are getting on base and they're moving them over. They're not stealing like they did in in that set with the Angels. They were running all over Jonathan Lucroy. They must have had some kind of scouting report on, on Lucroy because they stole bases in that series that they haven't done in a long time. So that, that was something that I was looking forward to would continue, maybe not quite at the pace it was at in that series, um, but I thought they would keep running, but they really haven't. So we'll see what happens with that if they aren't doing it because they want to not take the chance of running into outs because they know they don't have the, the heavy hitters in the lineup, so they want to take advantage of the guys to get on base we'll see they have guys that can steal base steal bases they have guys that can run that are smart that know how to read a pitcher stealing a base doesn't necessarily always have to be because you're fast it sometimes it just means you know running on the right pitch being able to read a pitcher's wind up or his, or his pickoff throw and going and the yankees have generally been a high percentage base stealing team they just haven't been a high volume base stealing team i thought this year would be a little different with you know some of the speed they have on the roster with the addition of LeMahieu, who can steal a base. They obviously have Brett Gardner, who's always been one of the faster players in the league, but hasn't really been that great of a base stealer. But, I mean, you got guys like Torres, you got guys like Andujar. Like, these guys can steal bags, and I was hoping to see that happen, but it hasn't happened as much. But they're playing well, and it's fun to watch. I, I, I keep harping on the same thing. I, it's, it's more fun to watch teams win like this because it brings back the beauty of the game of outsmarting the other team, outplaying the other team, outpitching, outhitting. It's not just overpowering another team, which is it's fun to watch too. It's fun to watch a team beat the fuck out of other people. But it's also fun to watch them outsmart. It's almost like they're playing chess right now, where last year they were just playing checkers, just hitting fucking bombs left and right and beating everybody 10 to 3. Whereas this year they're they're playing chess. You know, they're bringing in the right bullpen, the right arms from the bullpen and the right moment to get the right hitter out. They're not necessarily going just by you're the closer, you're the setup man, you're seventh inning. For some, they're doing it sometimes with, you know, like Chapman is the closer. He's the bona fide ninth inning man. That's what he's here for. That's what he's getting paid the big bucks for. Zach Britton, Adam Adovino, Tommy Canely, these guys are being used 
in high leverage situations, regardless of what inning it is, which is nice. I'm happy they're doing that because Joe Girardi and Joe Torre never did that. They had, this was my guy in the seventh inning. This was my guy in the eighth inning. This is my guy in the ninth inning. And I hate that. I hate it so much because it doesn't ever work. For the most of the season, it's going to work. But when you get that one game that you have to win, you have to be a little bit more flexible with the guys. When you got, you know, say in the sixth inning, you got first and second, nobody out, you're up 3-2, they got the 3-4-5 hitters coming out, you don't want to bring in your middle reliever. You want to bring in the guy that's good at getting guys out in high leverage situations. Whether that's your setup man, bring him in in the sixth inning, get a couple outs, move on. There's certain points in the game that you have to take advantage of at that moment because those are such big moments in the game. And that may come in the fifth inning, that may come in the eighth inning, it could come in the second inning, which generally that's your starter. You're not going to do anything about it, but there's every game has that moment that breaks the game one one way or the other to, to one team or the other. Aaron Boone is being very good at recognizing that situation and using the right guy at the right time to get hitters out. And I don't know if that's because he was an analyst prior to becoming a manager. He got to see the game from a different perspective, got to see how different managers across the league handle different situations that may give him an advantage because he got to see a bunch of different things and learn from a bunch of different people and was able to find the perfect middle ground to manage his team and he's doing a great job and I'm, I'm very happy that that they went with him I wanted I was actually really excited about the possibility of Carlos Beltran becoming the manager but I'm, I'm very very happy with Aaron Boone he's doing a great job and he's winning with a team that really shouldn't be winning this much and I think he isn't getting enough credit in the media and across baseball I mean, if the season ended today, I, he would be on the short list for the manager of the year. He just would. I mean, he's he's taking a, a team that's bandaged together with AAA guys and, you know, guys flirting with the IL back and forth, and he's winning. So, I mean, you got to give him credit. The guy's, the guy's doing his thing, and it's, it's, it's impressive. And he should be able to keep it going. They got a pretty favorable schedule coming up. They have some reinforcements coming. Actually, one thing I read just before I started recording tonight was that Clint Frazier is going to be active tomorrow, which is Monday. I'm recording Sunday night. Clint Frazier should be active tomorrow. They've already sent down uh, Stephen Tarpley, who's the left-handed guy, uh, one of the left-handers in the bullpen who's been awful. So really glad to see him go down. <laughs> He's been terrible. He was he was pretty good at the end of last year. He got a late call up um, and did okay and made the roster this year and he's been horrific. So not sad to see him go. But they should get Clint Frazier back tomorrow, which will be nice. That'll give them, by my count, seven guys in the in the lineup that could have been starters on day one. Obviously, Clint Frazier wouldn't have been, but he's gonna knock Michael Talkman out of the lineup, which doesn't hurt. Um, Aaron Hicks should be coming back soon. So that will be very helpful. Uh, but coming up, they got they got four against Seattle at home. Then they go to Tampa Bay for three. Home at home against Baltimore for three. Home against Tampa Bay for three. Then at Baltimore for four. You need to take advantage of that. I know Seattle's been hitting bombs, but Seattle's beatable, and the Yankees are always very good against Seattle, especially at home. I mean, they're traveling across the country. Take advantage of that. Take three of those four. Then you got six games against Tampa Bay with three against Baltimore in the middle. You got to take the three against, but you got to sweep Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore sucks. I mean, I know Baltimore has their number, and for some reason, I don't care how good the Yankees are or how bad the Orioles are, the Yankees cannot beat them. I don't know why, and it's infuriating, but you got, you, you have to take advantage of the teams that are lesser than you. You know, that's the reason that the Yankees lost the division last year. Baltimore or uh, Boston took advantage of Baltimore and Toronto. The Yankees did not. The Yankees lost to 
division by eight games. I mean, those eight games could have been made up against those two teams. And then, you know, those six games against Tampa Bay are going to decide who's leading the division heading into the dog days of summer, as they say. Those six games are going to be big. And if you lose those games, you're at risk for Boston lapping you, which you don't want to happen. I know Boston isn't as good as they were last year, but you still don't want to get behind them because then it's just going to bring back old memories. These guys know what it's like to be behind them, and it's not fun. Obviously, they hate them, so you don't want to give up, you know, four of these six or five of these six against Tampa Bay and risk, you know, dropping even further in division and falling behind other teams. Take those games, get get the lead in the division, get some of your guys back, coming moving forward and you know take off this is the perfect opportunity for this team to take off i know they're missing some of their biggest guys especially you know aaron judge and Giancarlo stanton who really hasn't played at all i mean i think he played three games but obviously this is the time to take control of this division and and take off I, I don't know how else to say it. Do it. Win these games. I mean, this next, was it 4, 7, 10, 13, 17 games. These next, 10, these next 17 games, win 12 of them. I mean, you can realistically win 12 of the next 17 and take a 2-3 to three game lead in the division and take off because after that, you got Kansas City and San Diego, and all those games are winnable. So take, take control of this and go. Like, this isn't the time to mess around. This isn't the time to tread water. We, we tread water for the first... 30 games now it's time to get going so let's let's do it we'll get we'll get some of these pitchers back we'll get some of these hitters back and it's, it's time to do the thing at this point i'm gonna go ahead and take a break i got an ad to read for you guys and then we'll be back after the break i got a little bit of giants talk for you what's the best part about fantasy sports we all know it's the draft and we all hate having to wait all season long to get our money when we win our fantasy league so why not play daily fantasy while still being able to have the luxury of drafting your teams that's what you get from draft.com if you sign up at draft.com using promo code nerds n-e-r-d-z You'll get free entry to a $3 contest after your first deposit. Every contest has a snake draft. You're not using the salary cap like you do on the other sites. Everybody has a different team. You're using, you know, 6 to 15 people, small groups, easier to win money. Do your snake draft. Everybody has a different team. No chance for having a, a 10-way tie at the top. Uh, so sign up, draft.com slash nerds with a Z. Sign up today. <laughs> All right, welcome back. So just like with the Yankees, another week went by, another injury. Same thing with the Giants, another week went by, got another Gettleman rant. This guy, I I don't know what Dave Gettleman's doing. I'm going to say this often throughout the offseason as we're waiting for actual action to happen on the field. This guy is making me lose all faith and all trust in this team. What he's what he's doing to this team is, is baffling, and I, I, I'll say it again and again and again until you know they fire him obviously made a controversial draft choice took daniel jones number six overall hopefully going to be the heir apparent for eli manning we'll we'll have to wait and see i mean nobody knows what he's going to be nobody really watches duke football so we don't really know we can look at his numbers the numbers aren't that great but obviously we've heard now that you know he obviously didn't have as good of a team around him as you know dwayne haskins and kyler murray but we're not going to know what he is until we see him on the field. Rookie minicamps have started. Every every report I've read seems to say that he's playing all right. He's looking pretty good. He's looking like he can be better than Kyle Lalletta, Kyle, uh, Davis Webb, which isn't that impressive. But those are the guys they picked in the last two years and obviously didn't pan out because they're still picking quarterbacks. We'll see. I mean, everything looked good as of right now. Dave Gettleman is not looking good. He is so defensive over this pick that it leads me to believe that he wasn't sure if this was his guy and 
was hoping to have a better fan reaction to make him feel more comfortable. When you come out after a draft and he is just exploding on the media saying how confident he is, how sure he is, how everybody wanted Jones. And I know the, the fans didn't know who Jones was, but all the GMs were after Daniel Jones. He said in his uh, press conference, I knew for a fact, quote unquote, that two teams would have taken Jones before 17. Who gives a fuck? If this is your guy, if you are this confident that this guy is going to be good, he's going to be the next great quarterback, who cares who else would have taken him? Take him at six. You don't have to defend yourself against fans that, let's be honest, we don't know as much. We don't do as much scouting. We don't watch the tape. We don't know what these guys are capable of as well as the scouts do. These guys do this for a living. That's their job. That's their career. They've devoted their life to scouting players. They obviously know something more than we do or else we'd be doing the same thing. You don't need to defend yourself by saying, I know for a fact you wouldn't have been there at 17. Who cares? I mean, if this is your guy, just say, hey, this is the guy. He's going to be the best quarterback in this draft. He's going to be the quarterback that leads our team for the next 15 years. I wanted him on my team. I didn't want to take a chance. If anybody, there could be anybody in the league that would take him after me. I didn't want to take that chance. I took him at six. It is, I'm done. That's it. Over. That's all you got to say. The fact that he's saying, I knew for a fact there would be two teams that would have taken him at 17. Like, okay, so who? You know, Washington is saying that maybe the coaches wanted Daniel Jones, but Dan Snyder wanted Dwayne Haskins. All right, Dan Snyder gets what he wants. He's a fucking teenage girl. He gets everything he asked for. He's the owner of the team. I mean, it's his right, but he doesn't fucking know anything about football, so keep making these decisions. Although they did have a good draft, and I'm not too happy about it. But obviously, when when there's so many reports saying that the red that Dan Snyder wanted Dwayne Haskins, all right, you can rule that team out because he's going to get what he wants. Denver, not so sure they would have taken a quarterback there, but then you also got to worry about the other 31 teams that could trade up. Who who cares? I mean, who cares? If you're confident that this is your guy, if you're confident that this guy is going to be able to take the lead when Eli Manning retires and take this team without any bridge and just take him to the promised land and win, you know, a couple more Super Bowls, just say, this is the guy. I didn't want to take a chance. I wanted him at six. He's, he was the highest player on our board, and we took him at six because he's the best player. Fine. That's all you got to say. You don't got to keep crying to the media saying, well, I want to be clear that there are other teams that would have taken him. Like, he wouldn't have been there at 17. So, like, you're begging for validation for your pick is what you're doing. Uh, you want people to say, well, you made the right decision because you wouldn't have had him at 17. Well, if you're the GM, why do you need people to, to say that? Why do you need the approval? You don't need that. I mean, how many people were upset when the Chiefs traded up to take Pat Mahomes? How many people were upset when the Bears traded up to take Mitch Trubisky? Which, I mean, we're not all sold on Trubisky yet, but that team won 11 games this year. So obviously he's doing something, right? These things happen where, where teams trade up to make picks or they make bold picks early in the draft and they don't sit there and defend themselves over and over and over again. They just say, look, this was my guy. He was the highest rated player on the board, on our board. So the first opportunity to take him, I took him. End of story. That's all you got to say. Like what? I don't understand this guy. Like he's, I don't know if he's just desperate for attention. He wants everybody to be talking about him. He, he thinks, you know, all press is good press. I, I don't know, but it pisses me off like this, this shit keeps happening like stop like i can't take this shit anymore like we used to be so goddamn consistent and competent and fucking steady like now we're this 
circus that's this team should be on hard knocks because it's a fucking circus every week like it would be entertaining i'd rather see another team because i don't want that bullshit in our locker room but good god so much shit going on with this team yet they might be pretty fucking entertaining if they're on hard knocks but this guy's pissing me off i i don't i don't know what else to say like i said the, the fact that you're defending your pick at every turn just yells out to me that you're looking for validation and you're not sure that you made the right choice you, you're almost he's almost sounding like he's wishing he had a do-over and could go back and take Josh Allen and see what happens at 17 because he's not sure that this is the guy he was just afraid because he heard rumblings from some other teams that they would have taken him before 17 and he wanted to get him he didn't want to get him at six necessarily but he wanted him so he wasn't sure so I'm gonna kind of throw this out in the media that maybe I know for a fact there's other teams that would have taken him so we had to take him at six if this is the quarterback that's going to lead your team to Super Bowls you have to take him at six you have to take him at six so that's all you have to say right there this is the guy that's going to win us championships when Eli Manning retires so we're taking him at six period that's it you don't need to say anything more this guy just keeps fucking talking he needs to shut his mouth all right next topic i did listen to a couple episodes of the michael k show last week which is um one of the top talk radio shows in new york uh michael k is the the announcer for the s network for all the yankees games who is a, a joy to listen to I, I love listening to that guy they had an interview last week with david cutcliffe who is the head coach of duke football he was he's the reason everybody linked uh, Daniel Jones to the Giants. He was Eli Manning's head coach at Ole Miss. He was Peyton Manning's quarterback's coach at Tennessee. He has a very strong relationship with the Manning family. He's known them for a long time. He still keeps in very constant contact with them. He actually mentioned in the interview that he had dinner with Eli Manning the day after he got benched for Geno Smith which is pretty telling of how close they are. And he also spoke with Eli on the phone the night of the first round to, you know, talk to him about Daniel Jones, things like that. Um, so he obviously keeps a close relationship with them. So it was pretty, I, I was really excited to listen to this interview. And he had some pretty interesting things to say. One, one of the things I want to start, which isn't Daniel Jones related, which just kind of pissed me off and, and lit the fire, that really cost me from watching a game in 2016 which i haven't missed a game in 15 years and there was a game that i did not watch i did it to rebel against the management and we all know that that is the eli manning benching game that ended the streak which isn't that big of a deal to him because he's such a good dude but that really rubbed giants fans the wrong way as we saw the backlash and they ended up going back to eli manning and we never even saw davis webb play which was stupid which really should have been the whole reason Eli Manning got benched in the first place. We ended up seeing Geno Smith, who we all knew Geno Smith sucked, so I don't know why they were testing him. You had a rookie. We knew Eli Manning is getting close to the end, let the rookie play. The rookie never even saw the field, so the whole benching was for fucking nothing. But he did say that he met with Eli the night that he found out, the night after he got, he was told he was being benched. So it was obviously a very tough time for him in his life. He had played, I don't even remember the number, 200 straight games. It was obviously a very tough night for him. He knew the streak was coming to an end. He was offered to be allowed to start the game, but then they were going to pull him after the first series just so he can continue the streak. Thank God he said no because that's fucking humiliating. Stupidest thing. I don't know why they asked him that. Obviously, it's not one of the brightest moments in his career, and he took it like a champ. He was, you know, as Eli Manning as Eli Manning can be. He was very gracious about it, saying that, look, this season is not going well. We need to see what some of these other guys got. Uh, I'm, I'm 100% behind Gino. I don't know why. I, if I was him, I'd be 
fucking livid, as all the Giants fans were. But he's Eli Manning, and that's what he does. So, you know, he was as gracious as he could have been in front of the microphone, in front of the camera. I was really interested to see what he was like behind the scenes, which we're never going to get to see from him because he's as private, if not more private, than Derek Jeter. You know, these guys know how to keep their personal lives separate in a way that no one has done before, and I don't know how they do it. But it's pretty impressive, so we're never going to see see it or hear it from him. I wasn't even sure Cutcliffe was going to answer the question, and he actually prefaced the answer by saying, I'm not sure Eli would want me to tell you this, which is very telling. It shows you how private the guy is. But he went on to say that he was as gracious about it at dinner, privately, in his home, that could have never leaked to the media because Cutcliffe wouldn't leak any negative information about his guy. And he said he was just as gracious about it behind the scenes as he was on camera, which... Uh, why be angry anyway that, that was just a little side note that i was interested that i that caught my ear when i was listening i'm glad michael k and don lagreca asked the question because that was a very good question that i've been waiting to hear for a couple of years because i mean you know you can't ask him because he ain't gonna answer it so they they found the guy that had the answer and they asked him and he answered so yeah that was that was interesting to hear anyway back to daniel jones so Cutcliffe obviously is biased he's the head coach of the team that Daniel Jones played for. He recruited him. He's got a very close relationship with the quarterback of the team that he went to, who has a lot of say in what the team does. He's not going to sit there and bash Daniel Jones, but he did say some things that were a little bit telling. He did, as the head coach of the team, he did admit that his team doesn't have the talent of Ohio State which is obvious. We all know that. But as the head coach of the team, he was, you know, honest enough to admit that and not necessarily throw his team under the bus. I mean, he did say like, you know, we love our guys. We're, we love the guys that we have. We know we're talented, but we don't have the, we don't have the ability. We don't have the, we don't have the necessary avenues to recruit some of these guys that the Ohio States, the Oklahomas, the Floridas, the Alabamas, we don't have the ability to recruit these guys. And it, it's, it's fair to say that, you know, he's working with a team that is less talented than what Dwayne Haskins is working with, what Kyler Murray's working with, what even like Drew Locke is working with. Duke football is relatively unknown to anybody. We all know that Duke is a basketball school. That's what they do. That's what they're known for. If you if you draft a Duke basketball player at six, you're doing something good. You're getting a steal. You draft a Duke football player at six, this is what we're talking about. He went on to say like some of the things that this guy did on the field went unnoticed because the receiver dropped the ball the receiver ran the wrong route the tackle missed the protection the guard didn't pull when he was supposed to pull the running back didn't make a block when he needed to make a block he didn't provide the quarterback that protection behind the line little things that aren't going to show up in the stat sheet which is what we're looking at because we're not watching duke football so we're looking at the stats and we're seeing ah he only completed uh, 57 percent of his passes while dwayne haskins completed 68 percent. he only threw for 2800 yards when dwayne haskins threw for 4,000. he only threw for 23 touchdowns when dwayne haskins threw for 50. okay dwayne haskins has three receivers that got drafted daniel jones has zero Dwayne Haskins has running backs and linemen that got drafted. Daniel Jones has zero. Some of the numbers that are being seen aren't relevant to what he actually did on the field. And it was interesting to, 
to hear Cutcliffe say that because not not because he's standing up for his guy. I mean, we knew he was going to do that, but the fact that he was able to admit that the rest of the team wasn't as talented is very telling, and said that this guy does stuff on the football field that some of the other guys can't do. He's the biggest quarterback of the three. You know, he's the prototypical size. He's the Eli Eli Payton size, which is the prototypical quarterback we've expected over the last 20 years, which is kind of changing now. But he's that size, and that's what the Giants have always had. That's kind of been their thing is getting that, that big pocket presence guy, which may not necessarily be with the times right now, but that's what they do, and they got him. He also went on to say that they... Daniel Jones and Eli virtually have the exact same personality. They're the exact same person. They're the exact same when it comes to handling the media, when it comes to handling the fans, when it comes to handling the pressure. He's just got that kind of quiet confidence that he's not going to succumb to negative backlash, which is good because you're going to a city where you're going to get plenty of it. So that's really good to hear. Him and Eli Manning have a bit of a relationship, so that's going to be great. Like I said in the last episode, I think Eli will be more willing to work with him, to mentor him, to you know just take him under his wing and show him the ropes than he would have if they took you know Dwayne Haskins, who might be a little more outspoken and more vocal about wanting to be the starter immediately. Daniel Jones, I don't think is going to do that. I think he's going to be more willing to sit back and wait because of the relationship he has with Eli. It's going to be very beneficial to this team. They don't need a guy that's just going to come in week one and play. Eli is still the quarterback. He's still the guy. He's still good. He can still win games. He needs help around him. He needs support around him. He can't do it by himself anymore. That's fine. I don't think Daniel Jones can either just yet. We don't know. Maybe he turns into Tom Brady. Maybe he turns into Matt Flynn. We'll see. But for right now, Eli Manning is the quarterback. And the fact that Daniel Jones and Eli have that relationship, I think is going to be so much more beneficial for the future, just because that they'll be much more comfortable working with each other. That's very helpful. And it was very telling from David Cutcliffe, just the fact that these guys are so similar that you almost can't tell them apart when you hear them speak. They When they had Daniel Jones on the day after he got drafted, he, he talks very similar to Eli. Similar in the same way that he's not going to give you a whole lot. He's not going to give you that deep of a look into his, especially into his personal life or into his preparation, uh, what he does, how he prepares, things like that. He's not going to let you in. He's not going to give the other side any sort of window to look in to see what, what's on his mind which is good, and you're in a city that is going to require that, which are all good things. I mean, I, like I, I've said, I'm not, I'm not sold on the pick yet. I, I like the player. I don't love the player. Thought they picked him too high, but if it's the guy, you have to take him. If he's not the guy, then you fucked up, and we'll feel it for the next five years. But we'll see what happens. I, I like the personality. The personality is known, and I know it's going to work in New York. Now it's just a matter of having the arm to back it up. Other than that, there's really not much going on with the Giants. Really, the biggest story this week was what number is Daniel Jones going to wear, which he is wearing eight. And rookie minicamp, it doesn't matter. He could change that. Obviously, there's a lot of talk of him trying to get 17 from Kyle Lalletta, who might not even make the team. So that number might be available even without asking for it. But there's not much going on. It's 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 the offseason. We haven't gotten to OTAs yet. We haven't gotten to training camp yet. There's just not a whole lot to talk about. Free agency is pretty much done. 
I'm sure Dave Gettleman's gonna do something fucking stupid enough next week for me to talk about for 10 minutes just like I did today so we'll see but right now it's the Yankees and the Yankees are they're playing well so that's gonna be what a lot of the shows are about moving forward um next week a little teaser I believe I've next week we should have a guest on the show should be the first time in big blue pinstripes history it's not finalized yet so I'm not gonna reveal who it is or or what we might talk about but it's looking like I'm gonna have a guest on for next week which is pretty exciting give a more of a back and forth type of dialogue rather than me just talking to the air which is fun for me but it may not be as fun to listen to so next week we'll have a guest and hopefully i mean i'd like to have guests on more often so hopefully this goes well and i can use it to recruit some other people but that's the big news moving forward is that we should have a second voice on next week which is pretty exciting i'm excited to keep this thing going last week was a lot of work getting the teaser and two episodes out on the same day i I never realized how much work goes into this but it's it's been a lot of fun before i go i do want to do one thing um uh we do have a page up on patreon which for those of you that don't know if you weren't if you didn't tune in last week patreon is a site that is used by content creators to basically give their fans an opportunity to donate to their work you know a lot of artists musicians podcasters people like that use the site and you know have fans that want to help donate um and offer you know some bonus content for those that do i haven't created a bonus video yet i was on the verge of doing it for the james paxson injury however we uh had some personal issues with the family so i didn't get an opportunity to do it which is fine um, the first couple bonus videos are going to be free, available for anybody, just so you can get an idea of what it is. And then moving forward, it's going to be for patrons of the site only, patrons of patreon.com only. And it's, it's just basically going to be kind of rapid reaction videos, uh, possibly move into live streams during some games or during some big events. Obviously, we could have had an opportunity to do a live stream during the draft, which would have been really entertaining. But that's one. That's that's what you're going to get if you if you want to support the show. Uh, it's at patreon.com slash big blue pinstripes and then you can also find us on twitter we're at, at bb pinstripes pod and that's where market the show for the most part is on twitter use facebook a little bit from my on my personal page but most of my marketing is done on twitter and you get a lot of other stuff too i i, I tweet all the time i live tweet during games i live tweet during other events the draft uh free agency trade deadlines things like that i just i love talking sports so i'm on there a lot so give us a follow at big blue excuse me at bb pinstripes pod on Twitter and find us at patreon.com slash big blue pinstripes.